Good morning. Welcome again to Hiawatha. We're still glad you're here, like we were earlier when we said it. So, we are in the middle of an open mic series. And uh, what that means is not, as some of my friends said and thought, that open mic means we have a mic and we pass it around and everyone gets a chance to say something. Not what it means. What it means is that whoever's preaching gets to pick the topic that they preach on. So, I got to choose what topic I wanted. My name is Jesse Spland. As uh, Peter mentioned earlier, I'm an elder here at Hiawatha. And one of the privileges and joys of being an elder is getting a chance to preach a couple times a year, which I thoroughly enjoy doing. So the topic that I chose is, but the greatest of these is love. So this is the second week of a four-week series of open mics. We're between sermon series right now. And I originally thought I'd be preaching last week, which was obviously the Sunday after Valentine's Day. So I wanted to do something that was not Valentine's-specific, but was love-specific. And fortunately, love being the topic that it is, it still works to preach on it, even though Valentine's Day was a while ago. So uh, we will start by reading the passage in its entirety. Yes, it is only the one verse. 1 Corinthians 13.13 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And a quick word definition, in case you don't know what the word abide means. It means to remain stable or fixed. So something that abides, it's steadfast, it's stable, it doesn't change, it continues. It's something fixed. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the passage, which, despite only being one verse, will take longer than five minutes. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and for this opportunity. I pray, God, that you would speak to each of us, that you would uh, show us anew how rich is the faith and the hope that you've given us, and also the love you've given us, and how that love is greater even than faith and hope, which are so great and so valuable to us. Amen. All right, now as you read this verse, if you grew up in the church or are familiar at all with the Bible or have been coming to Hiawatha, your reaction may be, wait, what, what did he say? How can love be greater than faith and hope? And to be clear, this passage, Paul, who wrote this passage, is not saying faith and hope are not greater, that they don't matter. He's saying, yeah, faith and hope are great, they're up here. But love is just that little bit higher. It is greater than faith and hope. How can that be? Well, uh, just you wait and see. And if this is your first Sunday here or your first Sunday in a church, Love, I'm assuming, is a word you're familiar with. Uh, they've made a few movies with love as the theme. A few songs have been written over the years with love as the theme, so you're probably familiar with that. Faith and hope, though, are words you may know, but you may not be as familiar, familiar with them. So what we're going to do first is define faith and hope, what they are, and then talk about why they're important. And then we'll define love and then talk about uh, why it is greater than faith and hope. So first, hope. What is hope? So hope is to desire something with the expectation that you will obtain it or that that desire will be fulfilled. So it's different than just wanting something. You might want something, but in that wanting, like I might want there to be no more snow this year. But it's only February, so it's likely we're going to have snow at least one more time. 
But hope is a desire that has the expectation that it's going to be obtained and fulfilled. So it's stronger than just wanting something. It's stronger than just a desire something because there's that expectation that it's going to happen. The verse here from Romans 8, Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So hope, you can see from this, is always future-focused. It wouldn't make any sense for me to get up here and say, man, I really hope that the offering song they do goes well. I really hope the offering song goes well. You'd say, weren't you just sitting right there? They just did that three minutes ago. You already know it went well. Or for me to say, man, I really hope we have good weather yesterday. I really hope it's sunny yesterday afternoon so I can spend some time outside. You'd say, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, where were you yesterday? Because it happened in the past. So I know whether or not the weather was nice or not. I know how the offering song went because I was sitting right there. So hope is always a future-focused thing. It's not focused in the past or in the present. So some of you hope that we will get no more snow this year. Some of you hope that we will. Some of you hope that summer is going to come. And you have an expectation that's going to happen. You know that's going to happen. But you hope it comes soon. You hope it comes sooner rather than later. Now you have the expectation that that desire you have for summer is going to be fulfilled. It is going to happen. So that's what hope is. And now faith. And uh, for those of you who were a little off-put by the fact that I did faith and hope out of order of what they are in the verse, the reason is that the biblical definition of faith includes hope, so you can't use the word hope in the definition until you define what hope is. So from Hebrews 11, what is faith? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is even stronger than hope. Faith has assurance and conviction of things that you don't see, things that are still in the future, things you hope for, but you know they're going to come to pass. You have assurance, you have conviction. Now, hope is something, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you are involved in church at all, Hope is something that all of us have as a component in our lives. We all hope for things. Some of you might just hope that you have a good meal for lunch today. You might hope that the weather's nice this afternoon so you can spend some time outside. Some of you might be hoping for changes in jobs or in relationships. You might be hoping that the news from the doctor is positive or negative, depending on what the news is you're waiting for. But we all have things we hope for. We all have things that we desire, and we all have things that in hope we expect will be fulfilled. Now with faith, if you're a Christian, obviously faith is a big component in your life. But if it's your first Sunday here, or if you're here and you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Jesus, you might think, oh yeah, he's up there talking about faith, but he's a preacher and he goes to church, so of course that's a thing for him. But faith doesn't really, I'm not really involved in faith in any way in my life. There is no faith. Ah, contraire. Faith is also something that is a component in everyone's life, whether you believe in God or not, whether you're a Christian or not. Now, you may not call it faith, but it is a component. As an easy example, all of you are here right now. And I know that you came here somehow because I was here last night and none of you were here. So I know you didn't sleep here. You came here this morning. So most of you probably either drove yourselves, you came in a car or a truck or some such thing, or you took public transportation, the bus or something like that. So those of you that came today in a car or on the bus, I'm guessing for most of you anyway, when you got, before you got in your car to drive, you did not pop the hood, check all the components in the engine to make sure everything's working, crawl underneath the car to check the brake line, 
check the tire pressure and all the tires, you didn't do that. Those of you that came on the bus, when you got on, you probably didn't get on and ask the driver, now, I'd before we go, I'd like to see the latest safety inspection that this bus had, and uh, when was that, how long ago was it? Could you pop the hood real quick? I want to check some stuff out before we go, and I'm just going to be a man, I'm going to crawl under the bus, just don't run me over, I'm just going to check some things out. No, you didn't do that. Why not? Because you had faith. You don't call it faith, but you had faith. You had faith that when you drove your car and you came up to a stop sign or a stop line and hit the brakes, that the brakes would work. And you don't check that every time you drive your car. You believe that's going to happen. You have faith in that. A lot of people, when they hear the word faith, especially in association with God or with Jesus, they think, oh yeah, faith, that's that thing where people just check their brain at the door. It's like, yeah, you just leave your brain at the door and maybe you open the Bible and you read something that said something about faith and you're like, that sounds good, I'll go with that. But it's this thing that's not grounded in any kind of reality or anything that can be known or measured. It's just this thing that's kind of out there. But that's not true. It's like the faith you show when you drive your car. Now that faith is not just grounded in whim. It's grounded in other things. It's grounded in experience, the experience you have driving your car. If I drove my car here yesterday and the brakes failed driving home, I'm not going to say, well, it'll probably be okay today. I don't have that far to go. I probably won't crash. I probably won't die. No, if the brakes fail, I'm not going to drive the car. So it's grounded in experience. It's grounded in knowledge, knowing something about the car, about how a car works, about how long different systems in the car last. It's also grounded in uh, what you trust that others say. If I take my car in to get worked on, and the mechanic who works on it says, yeah, your brakes are fine. They should go for another 10,000 miles. Then I'm going to say, okay, I trust you. You do this all the time. This is your livelihood. If you just started lying to everyone, one, people would start dying when their brakes failed, and two, word would get around, and you'd have no business anymore. It's similar with faith in this context. The faith that we have is not just something where we check our brain at the door and we just believe it on a whim. It's based partly on experience, partly on knowledge from the Bible, from what we know when we converse with other people. It's also based on relationship, the relationship we have with God, the relationships we have within the church and within that context of other believers that we can remind each other of things, we can encourage each other with things. So that's faith. It's something that's not yet seen, something in the future that we hope for, but there's assurance and conviction based on things that to some degree can be measured and can be trusted. So there's faith and hope. Now, why is faith great and why are hope great? Faith is great for many reasons, but one of the primary is it's one of the key components of salvation. So verses from Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Why is faith great? Because without faith, there's no salvation. So we see in this verse, salvation comes by grace, but the means that that grace comes is through faith. And keep in mind here, both of these are gifts from God, so grace is not something that you just uh, stir up within yourselves. It's like, oh, I just have to give myself a little more grace. I just have to conjure up more grace, so to speak, from somewhere. And the same with faith. You don't just work yourself into the state of faith. These are gifts from God. And they're not a result of works, and so that is the reason that they're gifts and not something we work for is to eliminate boasting. So I don't stand up here and say, well, I have twice as much faith as you or 50% more faith than you, so I'm just better. 
No, there's none of that, because it all comes from God. No one has faith in God apart from God. No one has that grace apart from God giving it. But faith is a huge thing. So now we start to see some of the difficulty of this verse, possibly, what some of the question that it raises. How can love be greater than something that's a necessary component of salvation? Without faith, there's no salvation. How can love possibly be greater than that? So that is why faith is great. Why is hope great? A verse from Proverbs, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So if you were here for our Genesis series, which we did recently, that tree of life uh, phrase might be a little confusing to you since you would last remember that from Genesis where God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and there's a, one of the trees in the garden is the tree of life. And after they sin and eat from a different tree that they weren't supposed to, God kicks them out of the garden so that they can't eat from the tree of life. But the, uh, the point that's being made here in Proverbs, he's just contrasting the idea of a sick heart and a tree of life. So a sick heart being something that withers and dies and a tree of life being something that flourishes and blooms and grows. So that's the point he's making with those two images. So why is hope great? It keeps a heart from getting sick. It encourages the heart that's on that path of getting sick and helps it to grow and flourish. That is what hope does. So if that's true, then we have to ask the question, all right, so hope is this thing that encourages us, that encourages and brings about uh, fulfillment eventually of these desires that we have. So then what is the ultimate desire that we hope for? What is the fulfillment of desire that we hope for ultimately as Christians? Many verses uh, could have been put here. Uh, this idea is all over the New Testament. I just chose these two because they're short and they both fit on the same slide. So, from Titus 1 and from Titus 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And then waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what is our hope? Ultimately, as Christians, our hope is that eventually we will be with Jesus Christ forever. Eternal life, the appearing of Jesus Christ, either the appearing when he returns, his second coming, and physically comes back, or the appearing when we die and then we go to be with him. But either way, ultimately the hope we have as Christians, there are many things day to day we hope for, small things, big things, and that's great. But ultimately our hope is not in any of those things. Ultimately our hope is in the fact that eventually we are going to be with Jesus forever, face to face, see him in the flesh, talk to him like I can talk to one of you after the service. That is our ultimate hope. So again, how can love be greater than that? How can love be greater than the hope that we get to spend eternity with Jesus? So now we see what faith and hope are. We see why they're great. And we see a little bit more of that tension of the question of, okay, how is love greater than these? We don't deny love isn't great. Of course love is great. The world even acknowledges that. But love is greater? Love is greatest? How is that possible? So first, let's talk about what love is. From 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
So what is love? The simple definition, God is love. Notice it does not say God is loving or God loves. Both of those are true. God is loving and God does love. But God is love. You can define love by God. And keep in mind the opposite of that is not true. So God is love, but love is not God. And what that means is any definition of love, any explanation of love that you have can be wrapped up in God. All of love is encompassed by who God is. But all of God is not encompassed by love. God is love, but he is more than that. And it's also not like, well, this chunk of God is love, and this chunk of God is something else, and this chunk of God is something else. No, love permeates all of who God is, all of his being. But there are other things there too. I don't have these on a slide, but a few of the other things that it says God is, there are many verses that talk about what God does, but there are a few times where it talks about what God is and kind of gives definitions. And one of these, obviously, God is love. Also, God is light, God is spirit, God is an all-consuming fire, and God is one. Now, God is love, but some of you in this room might not, right now might not think of God that way. You might not think of God as loving. When you think of God, love is not the first thing that came, comes to mind. Maybe you grew up in the church and had some bad experiences or bad teaching and you were taught things about God that weren't true. Maybe you've had bad experiences with, with people who called themselves followers of God. And so the picture you have of God from that is a picture that's not at all like this and not something that's at all attractive or desirable. Or maybe you picked up the Bible one time or several times, opened it up, and found a passage to read and read it and thought, you know, God doesn't seem very loving in that passage. He's doing things that don't seem loving. So, uh, we've got a clip, movie, short movie clip, to illustrate some of the other ways uh, people think of God. Now, this clip is from Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope. And in the clip, now this is an analogy, so do not take this through the whole movie. In the clip, Darth Vader represents God, and Tarkin represents Jesus Christ, and the reason why will hopefully become apparent. So we're going to watch that clip real quick. It's about 45 seconds or a minute, and then we'll come back and talk about how that illustrates other ways people think of God besides him being loving. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture, no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes, or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this. Vader, release him. As you wish. <laughs> Thank the Lord that God is not like that. Because we'd all be in a lot of trouble. But for some people, that's the picture they have of God. Not as someone who's loving, but someone who, like Vader, is going to intimidate them. And if they raise questions to God, if they ask why things are a certain way, if they disagree with him about something, he's going to just God-choke them and kind of torture them into faith. 
I find your lack of faith disturbing. And just choke them until they either die or they go along with him. And then Jesus is like Tarkin, the guy who told Vader to stop. And he's the one that kind of intercedes and he's like, God, quit, quit choking people again. Don't do that. And God does it kind of reluctantly. He really wants to keep choking you. He doesn't really care for you. But because of what Jesus did, he'll just relent. So for some people, that's the picture that they have of God. Not one who's loving, but someone to be feared or to be hated. But that is not what God is. God is love. So that is what love is. But love always plays out in action. Love is more than action, but action is always a component of it. If I am married and I have a wife and we go out to dinner and I tell her I love her, but then I get up from the table we're sitting at if we're at a date and I go sit down at a table with another woman... And she says, Jesse, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm going to talk to this woman. She's kind of attractive, and I'd like to get to know her a little bit. And my wife's like, no, you're not. It's like, oh, it's okay, honey, I love you. What would she say? She wouldn't be like, oh, okay, that's great, have a good time. She'd say, no, you're not, or you do, then act like it. You're not acting loving. So love is more than action, but action always flows out of love. So let's look at the actions of love that God Uh, does for us. From 1 John 4, 9 and 10, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, or shown to us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a fancy word that means the turning aside of God's wrath. So in this passage we see, okay, God is love. What does God's love look like? It looks like him sending his son to us so that we might live through him. Because because of the sin that we had, there was wrath that existed between us and God. So Jesus came, Jesus being God's son, and turned aside God's wrath. So instead of experiencing the wrath of God that we deserve, we experience the love of God. So that's part of the uh, picture of what God's love looks like. From John 15, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. There are lots of different expressions and actions of love that can be taken. But the greatest of those because is to lay down your life for someone, which makes sense if you think about it. Love is something that's others-focused. It's something that's about giving. It's not about taking. And what more can someone give than their very life? And we can all think of people, whether it's children, spouses, parents, we can think of people that under the right circumstances we would die for. Not that it would necessarily be easy or desirable, but people that we love enough that we would give our own lives to save theirs. And that's what Scripture is saying here. So God loves us and shows that love by sending his son to turn aside his wrath. And how he does it is going to tie in with John 15. So going to Romans 5, so that John 15 thing, the idea of dying for your friends, God now takes that to the next level in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God didn't just die for his friends, people that were already loving him. He didn't just love back the people that loved him, do good back to the people that were doing good to him. He loved his friends while they were still his enemies. 
He loved the ones who would become his friends while they still hated him. He died in love for the people who were the ones who nailed him to the cross and hung him up to die. That is the love of God, a love that goes beyond just doing to others what they do to you, a love that goes beyond just showing care and affection to those who show it to you. God's love is shown. He sent his son. Jesus shows that love by willingly coming and willingly dying so that instead of the wrath and the death, the punishment that we deserve from God, instead of God giving that to us, he gives that to Jesus and gives us the love that we don't deserve. Because he loves us. He gives us the gift of life through Jesus. That is love. That is what love looks like. That is the fullest expression of love that will ever exist. The best picture of love that can ever be. So now we have a definition of love. And as we said before, even the world acknowledges that love is a great thing. That's not something that needs to be proven or shown. Uh, You see that throughout history. A few quick quotes from the very old. Shakespeare said, love is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. This great thing that in the midst of storms is not shaken or moved, it's fixed, it can't be moved, it can't be torn apart. George Sand, slightly more recent quote than Shakespeare, said, there is only one happiness in life, to love and be loved. Even from the world, that acknowledgement, that love is something special. There's something about love that brings a happiness and a joy that to the degree it's present in love isn't present in other things. And then that famous theologian John Lennon who said, all you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to say things like that without singing it? It's very difficult. So, the world acknowledges that love is great. We would acknowledge that love is great. But what makes love greater? What makes it the greatest above faith and hope? Two things. First, love is the foundation. And second, love is the fulfillment. So first, the foundation. The verses from Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So that passage, if we back up a few verses earlier in chapter 2, We see this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So what was it that motivated God to bring us that grace and that faith and that salvation? It wasn't just, well, he's God and that's what he does, or it was the right thing to do. It was love. Love is the foundation of our salvation. Without God's love, there is no salvation. Because that grace, that hope, that faith would never have come. Love is the motivation God had to bring salvation. Because of the great love with which he loved us. The same with hope. In hope of eternal life, with which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Why do we have eternal life? Again, because of God's love as the foundation and the motivation. Now, the means through which eternal life and salvation comes is that expression of love that Jesus Jesus showed us by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. Belief in that is the means by which salvation comes to us. But 
the foundation and the motivation for those acts were love, the love of God. The great love with which he loved us. The love that he had for the world. Have you thought about that before? That God's love was the motivation for salvation? Well, we were his enemies. And not just while we were his enemies when he was around, when Jesus was on earth already saying interesting things and people following him and caring about him to varying degrees. Before Jesus showed up on the scene, from the very beginning, God's love was the motivation for salvation. God's love was the motivation to give us the hope of eternity with him. Love is the foundation of salvation. It's the foundation of faith. It's the foundation of hope. But it's not just the beginning. It's also the end. Love is the fulfillment. From 1 John chapter 4. So we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. So what gives us confidence? That someday, when history comes to an end, when Christ returns, when everyone stands before God's throne, when that judgment happens, where do we have confidence? The confidence is not in things we've done. When, God, when I stand before God and he says, Jesse, why should I allow you to be with me for eternity? The correct answer is not, well, if you heard my sermons, I preached some really good sermons during my life. And it's not, well, I read a lot of the Bible or I read it frequently. It's not, I was devoted to this cause or I rejected this thing. It's not, I did these things or I didn't do these things. It's not, well, yeah, I did that stuff, but I thought that was secret and you wouldn't know about it. Those are not answers that God will find acceptable. The only acceptable answer is, oh, well, it's because of Jesus. It's because of what he did. It's because of the love that you showed me. I didn't love you first, you loved me. And you showed that by sending Jesus to die for me and to take the punishment that I deserve right now. That's the only reason. It's love that gives that confidence for the day of judgment. The next few verses in 1 John, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. It's interesting, love is often contrasted with hate, which makes sense because they're opposite contrasting things. But here, love is contrasted not with hate, but with fear. Fear also being something that's contrary to love. And it's interesting going back to the scene with Vader and the idea of different ways people think of God. If you don't love God, usually there's one of three ways you think of God then. Either you're indifferent to him, you just don't care about him at all, you don't think about him, or you hate or fear him. You fear him because of punishment. You're worried about what he's going to do. And you're afraid. And so you think, well... I have to do good things. I have to do this. I have to think this. I have to be this. And then I won't have to be afraid. Then God will find me acceptable. Or you hate him. You know he's stronger than you, but you don't like the fact that he tells you in your mind anyway that you have to do certain things and not do things. Or be something and not be something. So if you don't love God, usually you either hate him or you fear him. And what is it that conquers that hate and that fear and drives them out? It's love. And notice in these passages in 1 John, it says love is being perfected. It has not yet been perfected. So even as believers, even as people who know and rely on God's love, there are still pieces of imperfection. 
there are still times, even with that foundation of love for hope and faith, that our faith is weak and our hope is weak. There are times where I don't fully believe the love of God. And that's because God's love for us is perfect, but our love for Him is not yet perfect. It's being perfected, it's being refined through that process, that ongoing process of salvation. But it won't be perfected until eternity. Until we die and are raised again, or Jesus returns and transforms us, and forever drives out all sin that still remains in us, that's residual in us. All fear, all hate, all of that will be driven away. So love will be perfected, but right now it's something we hope for. It's still in the future. It's happening, it's in process, but it's not been completed yet. So we know and rely on the love of God, which is not just the foundation, but the fulfillment. It is the thing that is bringing about that perfection, that's bringing that confidence, that's transforming us. It says in 1 John 4, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. To abide in love with God. To be in relationship with God is to abide. To be in something that remains stable and fixed, that doesn't change in the sense of God's love for us. Obviously, the expression of that changes. We grow and we become more mature in faith. We're transformed more and more into Christ's image. But that foundation of love does not change. Jesus calls himself the rock in the Gospels. Something immovable, unshakable. Something that can't be swept away or torn down. Love is the greatest. Why is love the greatest? Because it's the foundation of all else. Of salvation, of faith, of hope. And because it's the ultimate fulfillment we look forward to. Because eventually, when we're with God and we see him face to face, when we're in eternity, faith and hope will no longer exist, at least not in the way we know them now. Hope is something future-looking. So when I see God face to face, when I'm with Jesus for eternity, I'll no longer hope for it. It would be like hoping for good weather yesterday or hoping that first service went well. No, because I'm there, I see it. I don't hope, oh man, I hope... I have that hope that someday I'll be with Christ. No, I'm with him. There is no more hope. And the same with faith. What does Hebrews say? Faith is the assurance of things we don't yet see. But in eternity, I'll see Jesus face to face. So it won't be faith. It'll be faith that's realized. Faith and hope will no longer exist as we know them. But love will. Love will continue to grow. And we'll look back and we'll see that moment when we enter into eternity with God will not be the climax and the pinnacle of love, but looking back we'll see, oh man, in a lot of ways that was like it was just the beginning. And it just keeps growing and keeps going. Those of you who are married, think about how you felt about your spouse, the love that you felt the day you were married. And now think about how that love has grown over time. What's made it grow? Time, the time you've spent together. You've been with each other. You've gotten to know each other. You know each other better. You've known each other for longer. You know each other more intimately. It'll be the same with God. When we're with Christ in eternity face to face, we'll know him better. First John says we will know him as he is. Not kind of shadowy and truly, but not completely. We'll know him as he is. We'll know him completely. Or as much as it's possible for us to completely know one who's infinite. That love will continue to grow. So, in conclusion, be encouraged. God is love. God does not want you to hate him or to fear him. His desire is not to act in ways to bring those about primarily. His desire is to save you. His desire 
is for you to love him as he loves you, for you to have a relationship with him. It says in Jeremiah, God desires that no one would perish, but that everyone would be saved. God's desire is that you would know him. Second, be encouraged. God's love is the reason salvation exists. It's not just some whim. It's not just some functional thing God had to do. God loved us. He loves you. That's why he saved you. He wants you to be with him. And finally, be encouraged. Love is the greatest because it's the foundation and fulfillment of our faith and our hope, which is great news for us as believers because then we have times where faith is weak and hope is weak. And in those times, in times where my faith is weak or my hope is weak, I then don't think, oh, I have to muster up more faith in myself. Oh, I just have to be more hopeful and think more hopeful. No. What do I do in that? I go back to God's love. Remind myself that he loves me. And as I go back to that and as God grows that love and stirs that love up anew in my heart, that foundation that's there helps to rebuild that doubt that's taken the place of faith and that hopelessness that's taken the place of hope. Love is the thing that restores those when they're weak, that builds them up. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for hope, for faith, and for your love. Thank you, God, that you have given us so much and that you've given those things grounded in love, grounded in something which does not change and cannot be shaken, grounded in a relationship with you. I pray, God, for each of us here, those of us that know you, that our love for you would be stirred up and kindled to new depths and new heights and new intensities. And I pray, God, for those here who do not know you, that they would know that you are not someone who needs ultimately to be feared or to be hated, but someone who can be loved. Someone who loves them, who loves them so much that you gave yourself, Jesus, in our place. You died when we should have, so we can live in ways we don't deserve. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand again as we respond together with these songs.